Welcome to the Mind Your Own Revisions podcast, where it's all about preventing and overcoming burnout, as well as fostering mental and emotional well-being in academia. I'm Özgün Ünver, burnout and well-being coach for academics. My mission is to inspire, educate and empower you on your quest to find true and lasting resilience, energy, balance and fulfillment in your work and life. Hello everyone. So welcome to this very special uh, edition of Mind Your Own Revisions with uh, Sally Clark, who is my guest today. And uh, Sally is a well-being and burnout expert and a coach and consultant with a passion for authenticity and connection. And uh, one of the very important things or you know, very timely things that I want to say is that she recently published a book about burnout, uh, where she also talks about her own experience as well as the causes of burnout and how we can prevent it and overcome it. And today we will talk about her book, her story, and the causes of burnout. So welcome, Sally. So good to see you. It's so good to see you, Özgün. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm delighted to be here. You're very, very welcome. I'm so excited that you're here. And uh, I'm happy that we were able to connect again because you interviewed me once some months ago. And uh, now I'm happy to interview you also after this big milestone, which is publishing your book. But uh, yeah, let's start if you don't mind, with your own journey, uh, could you tell us a bit more about your story about and around burnout, uh, if you don't mind? Of course, I'd love to. So I feel like it's hard to pinpoint an exact time when my burnout started because some of the things that led to my burnout really go back decades. Uh, so without telling you the granular detail of my full life story, um, I was, uh, I grew up in Australia, I became, um, I graduated from law and I majored in um, international law and in Japanese in my two degrees in Australia. Um, I moved to Europe and uh, worked a bunch of different jobs and then was offered a, a higher level job at one of Europe's top tier law firms. Um, and I kind of I'd never been very drawn to the law, but this felt like a very unique opportunity that I was being given. So I kind of felt like I've got to go for this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it, give it my best. So I was working about 80 hours a week um, and working on large financial transactions, um, acting for some of the world's biggest sort of international fin financial deals that were being done. It was very exhilarating. Um, it was very. Uh, awesome to work with some of the smartest people I've ever met as a really bright people that this firm attracts. Um, over the first couple of years, I kind of held it together. I would, I mean, I say that, but I was also regularly crying in my office, um, skipping dates with my boyfriend, dropping out of contact with friends. Um, and then it really started to shift gears around 2009. So this is a, a little while ago, but around 2009, I was starting to notice that I was not producing as much work as I had been. I was having to work longer hours. I was exhausted. 
um, getting sick easily, losing weight, and really unpleasant to be around. <laughs> I was I was snarky and um, any kind of suggestion that there might be something wrong or that I should slow down, I was really defensive about. So by January 2010, I was still working these crazy hours. It was a Friday night um, and I was at the office until late. I, I jumped into a cab because I was going to uh, Nantes in France to visit my brother who lived there at the time. And I had to like run through the airport to get to the gate. I, I tripped and scraped my knee. I had blood pouring down my shin, which I didn't even realize until the steward on the flight pointed it out to me. Um, when I got to Nantes, I collapsed. When I got into the arrivals area, when I laid eyes on my brother, I, I collapsed and um, sat there with him until they kicked us out of the airport. And that was the moment really that I was, my body forced me to acknowledge that things were really, really bad. And in retrospect, I think it was giving me the message that if I continued, it, it could be really devastating physically as well as physiologically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that I spent that weekend with my brother talking about how I was feeling, finally acknowledging what I was going through. I didn't use the word burnout at the time. I still didn't want to put it in that, didn't want to put myself in that category. Um, but within a couple of weeks, I'd arranged to, to leave my job as a lawyer and um, I left in that summer. And by that point, I had kind of um, you know, spoken to a coach. I'd also spoken to a therapist and articulated that I had been through a burnout and I was still deep in burnout when I, when I quit. So that was my, mm. that was my journey down, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's funny, right? In your in your book, you also write this like many people who go through a burnout, including myself. We have this one moment where it's like, yeah, the whole thing collapses, or we have uh, I don't know. I, I personally had a nervous breakdown. You had this this collapsing moment at the airport. Like we we have these stuff, but sometimes it doesn't happen right? It doesn't have to happen with that kind of like dramatic uh, collapsing thing. So yeah, how, how do you, how do you see it coming in other people if they don't have this dramatic moment happening to them, hopefully ever? <laughs> it's, it's easier to diagnose it once it happens, but... <laughs> We hope that you don't have to get to that point in order to acknowledge that burnout is happening. And I think that's really important to, to point out. Not everyone has that sort of dramatic cinema-esque sort of, you know, collapse. A lot of people that I work with as a burnout coach um, never have reached that point. Some have, but not, not always. And it's more of an ongoing sort of um situation that they find themselves in. And I think that's quite natural because burnout is caused by chronic workplace stress and chronic stress by its nature is kind of low level, easily just kind of merges into the background. So it's almost becomes undetectable quite fast. Yeah. So it tends to be, I think a lot of my clients approach me with this kind of, something has triggered them to realize that things aren't how they want them to be or they aren't how they used to be. They've lost some zest for life or um, 
just aren't really feeling like they're fully present in their lives um, in an ongoing way. You know, we all have a bad day or a bad week or, you know, the, the pandemic has influenced that too. Um, but I think there's this kind of, this realization that, that is this it? You know, I'm reasonably successful usually on the, you know, on the exterior, um, kind of holding things together, but, but feeling a level of, um, of malaise and obviously exhaustion is a big part of it as well so it's kind of that that tends to be why they reach out I think as well completely exhausted but also but knowing something needs to and knowing something needs to change yeah yeah and usually the feeling of being stuck right oh I know that something needs to change but what how exactly yeah, you tend to not be able to see your options in burnout, partly because of the physiological impact of it. You know, it, it, it makes, it really narrows your perspective. It narrows your view. Um, and, um, it, you know, it's, it's particularly in a high stress environment or that chronic sort of stress situation. It just makes it really difficult to see like how, how you would get yourself. These are very intelligent people. You know, these are very smart people. Every single person I work with, it's a really, you know, these are intelligent people. So it's not for lack of smarts. <laughs> it's simply that kind of narrowing of perspective and sometimes even a kind of giving up on looking, just thinking this is how it is. This is how, this is how it has to be. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to ask two questions uh, about that. But first, first things first, like now that we are talking about that time, when you were in burnout and like how it feels and do you think it is possible for you to to explain a bit how it feels for the person in that moment or in the period where they are in burnout so if a person is listening to this episode and uh, thinking oh I wonder if I have burnout like how do I know that yeah will you be able to like give some features some some checklist or something like that about oh am I in burnout or not certainly I mean I would love to give a super simple checklist because I think that's what burnout researchers the world over are looking for unfortunately because it's uh it there are some general sort of characteristics that it has but it does often manifest really differently in different people so it's difficult to say this is definitely how it will look um for people but what I tend to see is this um you know, the World Health Organization has talked about the three dimensions of burnout. Exhaustion is one, but there's, I think it's the cynicism dimension that really stands out to me uh, with burnout. There's a real kind of, um, a loss of trust in ourselves, a loss, a loss of trust in the world, a bit of bitterness sometimes as well, um, a kind of almost um, what psychologists refer to as learned, learned helplessness, mm -hmm. where we just kind of give up. And yet, and I think this is the, the reason that my clients seek me is because they still have some semblance of awareness that this is not how they want it to be. Perhaps even hopefully that it's not how it des they deserve their lives to be. So I think it's kind of, uh, my own experience was this real, um, really nasty inner sense of, I'm trying with my whole heart to make this career work and I hate everything about it and that that collision that that conflict there was incredibly draining yeah yeah I can imagine and the the, the second question I want to ask about um, 
the introduction you made to, to your story that you said that you had this resistance to accepting what was going on as burnout. The word burnout was a bit like, oh, no, 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 it's not that. So what was that about, uh, do you think? And do you see that in your clients as well? That they, Is that kind of denial, you think? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm um, speaking for myself. That was absolutely a denial. Um, and I kind of, um, my heart goes out when a client comes to me and says, I don't want to change anything. I want to stay working where I am. I want to do the same hours, but I just don't want to feel as exhausted or cynical. I just want to feel better, but don't make me look at anything or change anything else or, you know, change my behaviors or my habits. And I really, my heart goes out because that's kind of, we, we all want that. We all just want to kind of keep skating, skating over the surface and not address the underlying issues. Um, and, what, you know, that's what I really enjoy doing is creating a safe space with clients to start to slowly look at those uh, habits, behaviours and beliefs that we have. Mm. Um, and speaking personally, like it was definitely a strong sense of denial and I think a real almost paralysing fear that if I if I stopped and addressed how miserable I was, that it would almost felt existential. I would have to go back to square one. I was this successful lawyer. I had these business cards from Europe's top firm. And to acknowledge I was miserable would mean, who am I anymore? Yeah. So it really had that existential kind of character to it, which was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can totally relate to that. I mean, mm. my previous self can relate to that. <laughs> I do remember having said to a, a colleague of mine, I feel as if my life is like crumbling in front of my eyes and I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything to stop really terrible image <laughs> of burnout. But it's also the truth for many people. It is. Yeah, yeah. I had a really interesting conversation with a, a researcher and a coach uh, working in Prague, um, Dr. Norbert Riedhoff, who comes from a logotherapeutic background. So um, some of Viktor Frankl's work, so looking at meaning in therapy and, and particularly in burnout. And he has some really interesting views about how burnout does very often have to do with that lack of meaning that we're finding in our work or the meaning being such a small portion of how we spend our work days, you know, a few percent compared to all the other stuff, um, that that can be a, quite an important factor. I imagine for academics that that could, ease, that could be the case where their workload becomes overwhelmed by admin and meetings and yeah. all kinds of bureaucratic stuff and, and missing that, that the thing that, that brought their spark to academia in the first place. Yeah, yeah. it happens to many people. It's like, I, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. It's like, mm. yeah, I, I started with such and such intentions and I didn't get to do those things or I'm expected to do those instead. So unfortunately, but yeah, let's come to the meaning part. If we have more time, I, I love this um, topic. But uh, I also want to ask you, uh, continuing from your story, I'm wondering what prompted you to become a burnout coach, a well-being coach, and like do this as a profession? Sure. Well, I think to continue a little bit from where I ended my story in my kind of my crash and then quitting. Um, after I quit, I 
was very privileged to be in a position where I had some savings and very few financial responsibilities. So I could take a little bit of time off. Um, I did a yoga teacher training um, for a year in the Netherlands and um, started teaching yoga, which was terrifying to me because I would always enjoyed hiding behind a computer as a lawyer. <laughs> I was scared to be in front of people, but um, I ended up going to Morocco and spending some time in Morocco teaching yoga at surf camps. And I would teach twice a day and surf in between, so badly, but surf. Um, and I would find that often my favorite part of the day was the conversations that I would have after the yoga class with these guests who had come to Morocco, who would often be um, anywhere from sort of mid twenties through to fifties. To, to and um, interestingly often come to me with this kind of question that, that they have either how did you get from finance law to here and how can I do that too? Um, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working as a teacher and it's what I trained in, but I just don't feel it anymore. Or these conversations, like more than the yoga teaching really sort of made my heart uh, come alive. So I shifted into coaching um, and um, sort of more generally life coaching and career coaching. And then a few years ago, I, I sparked the idea to write a book about burnout, um, just to delve into that from more of a, a, a research, just to nerd out on it, basically. I wanted to really understand what I'd been through. And then through that process, I think it became really clear to me that um, that helping people either evade, you know, pre prevent themselves from going through a full burnout or helping them recover from one was something that really, uh, really means a lot to me. And I sort of brings together that corporate background that I have, the hippie um, aspect of the yoga and meditation and my just my, my innate love of, you know, conversations that help us understand ourselves and each other and the world better. Wow, that's so beautiful. <laughs> and uh, so now the difficult part, let's define the beast. What is burnout in your opinion? Because you just wrote a book about burnout. So let's have a bit of conversation about what burnout is beyond beyond this, yeah, exhaustion and uh, cynicism that we talked about. Those are like more scientific checkpoints. But you talked about this meaning aspect, for instance, like where where does burnout start? Where does stress on its own end? Does it ever end? Does it? go into something else so what are your thoughts about those things I love this <laughs> um yes I love these topics so much it's geeking out right where does it start exactly I think it's so two things that spring to my mind one is that a, there are a few quotes that I've heard that really stood out for me and I shared them in my book in terms of translating the very kind of abstract World Health Organization definition of burnout into something that people can relate to. Um, and one is um, by the preeminent burnout researcher, Dr. Christina Maslach, who said that burnout is an erosion of the human soul. Mm -hmm. um, another uh, colleague of, of ours said that, um, that burnout is like a tree that has lost contact with its roots. Mm. So there's a real kind of sense of disconnection between who we know we authentically are and what we're manifesting on the outside, what actually day-to-day -day life looks like. Um, 
And I think also that it's difficult, like when we talk about when does burnout start, because some of the, as much as the causes are, are a, lot, a lot of them are external, but there's also some of our own um, um, predispositions that we bring to burnout. So things for me, like I, I really, I didn't really know what I wanted to be, but my dad wanted me to be a lawyer and I wanted to keep him happy. So that was something, you know, that, that was one piece of the puzzle. Another was, um, you know, a little bit of perfectionism, which is a handy thing to have as a lawyer. Um, but I'm curious, what do you think? Like when you think, like when you sort of describe some burnout in a kind of a, in that kind of visceral way, like what, what, what comes to your mind or do you have any metaphors that you like? Hmm. Not uh, a lot of metaphors that I use, I guess, but to me, besides exhaustion, the, the emotional and cognitive, um, uh, how do you call that in English? I won't say, it's like loss of control. Like it's just, yeah. everything is out of control. Like about your, your how your mind works, how your emotions like manifest. And uh, I'm not saying this as a control freak. Well, that's another story. But, uh, you know, as human beings, we are able to uh, put things into perspective usually. And with that burnout, that comes out. So that is a very heavy manifestation of our, like, prefrontal cortex, our, like, brain the going, okay, no more. I can't take this anymore. I'm, I'm not doing any of that anymore. And then you're left with, okay, but I was trusting you, brain, prefrontal cortex, human brain, to, to have this these things going. And what do I do? And that, I see uh, that a lot in my clients also, that, that feeling of loss of control and going like, I can't recognize myself anymore. They come with that, mm. those words um a lot and i i can totally relate to that yeah mm. is that yeah. also your experience that i can't recognize myself anymore kind of uh exactly yeah for a while i was even playing with my own de definition of burnout because i felt like the world health organization definition lacked that existential aspect yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes the trouble with definitions is that we're, when we're also seeking to measure something using the definition, there's this kind of like this um, difficulty that scientists have, and I'm not a scientist, I know you are, but like have in making it something that we can measure, but that also really is accurately portraying what, what, the, what the syndrome is. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was like that fourth, that fourth aspect, that fourth dimension of it, of like loss of identity of, is something that because I do see it with almost every client that I work with, whether they explain it in those terms or not, but that kind of questioning of who am I, who have I become, is this it? Those kind of big life questions um, that I think are almost inherent to, to burnout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. And um, let's talk about the causes of burnout which you talked about a lot in your book, which I finished reading a week ago, and I love it. Very well done. <laughs> it means so much. Thank you. Oh, it's amazing. And so, the, yeah, causes of burnout. It's even 
saying that out loud is like seems like a mountain of things that might be there right what are the causes of burnout do, do you think you can like classify them in some like general bodies of uh yeah classifications for lack of a better word <laughs> i can certainly try <laughs> and i the the chapter in the book that's about the causes of burnout is distilled from um, a much larger manuscript so i spent a lot of time thinking talking and researching about uh the causes of burnout to be able to get articulate on it and honestly uh, maybe i'll change my mind maybe it'll look different in five years to what what we what i think it is now but the way I frame it is that, well, firstly, the fundamental point, I guess, is that burnout is not the individual's fault. Burnout doesn't happen because you're not smart enough, trying hard enough, uh, hacking life hard enough. There's no lack that causes burnout. Um, so there are some very active uh, external and internal aspects that, that lead to burnout. And this is what I describe as an unhealthy work culture or work cultures. So we see that in um, a lot of our societies, work is something that is very much central to our sense of identity, to who we are. And we are you know, encouraged from a very young age to work towards a particular kind of career. We have different opinions about what kind of careers our children might go into or not, what kind of study they might do, are they getting good grades or not. And this together with, and this is part of sort of you know, since the Industrial Revolution, there's been this, this shift towards the central focus being on, on work and a decreasing focus being on things like religion and community activities. And that's probably been exacerbated by technology and digitalization. So there's these external factors which, which kind of put pressure on us and, and that can manifest in things like broad things like a, a country's labor policies. How do they how are people treated in the labor market in a particular country down to you know some places work can be seen as just a very noble thing to do by definition and that rest is somehow sinful or wasteful so that's some of the external stuff and then what happens is that when we live in these cultures and these societies and it's very well-meaning i'm not blaming any you know individuals here it's well meant but we take on these beliefs we start to internalize this idea that if I'm successful, I'll be okay. If I um, have a good career, then I have value. And you know, if I can buy these things with money, all those kind of things. And it's shifted a little more recently, I think, into what we see as a 24-7 sort of hustle culture, where it's not so much about buying a bigger house than the Joneses, it's more about work, extreme work for the sake of it as a kind of badge of honor. Yeah. I can, so I mean, I'm just reeling myself in here because I'm like, well, wait a sec. Okay, mate. That's kind of, I think, to the external, the internal aspects of an unhealthy work culture. And these things, again, burnout is not the individual's fault, but we as individuals can also bring our own, we bring our own circumstances to our workplace. So whether that's, um, you know, growing up in a really safe, nourishing environment where we were taught that our value is intrinsic to who we are and we matter just as we are or if we haven't had that experience as a child that will that will potentially impact whether we you know reach some stage in the burnout spectrum or not exactly and that is not our fault either that 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 happens to us those kind of indoctrinations indoctrinations happen from childhood onwards and uh yeah none of it is 
our fault, quote unquote. Yeah. But, but somehow this whole thing comes together with the like dysfunctional work environment, dysfunctional yeah, work habits of the individual, and then some other like I don't want to call them personality traits because it sounds like they cannot be changed, but perfectionism, for instance, that you can work on, but you somehow bring it with you from probably childhood. Yeah, and I think the thing is, it's like, it's definitely, um, I am a reformed perfectionist. <laughs> um, and I think it would have been, you know, it was, it happened to be that I was, when I did things really, really well, I was rewarded. And when I didn't, I wasn't. So I, I quite early on sort of slipped into that mindset. And and I think that's, you know, that that's definitely not the individual's fault when that kind of thing happens. However, I think it, I mean, I think these two things can be true. Burnout is not your fault, but that doesn't make you a victim. That doesn't mean you're powerless. And that's something that's really important to me in my belief system is that, is that we still have agency and we can still make some shifts, even if we're in burnout right now. Oh, yes. Yes, that's such a good point. I uh, I recently sent a like, newsletter around this subject because some people come to me and they say, yeah, but burnout is not my fault. Why should I do anything about it? The system should change. The, the I don't know, my the management should change. This and that should change. And I'm like, yeah, but this is your health, your well-being. This is your life. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, exactly. And I fully agree. It's like we need both approaches. I think like I'm very much convinced that we need some fairly fundamental systemic and structural change to organizations, institutions, and 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 you know, legislation. We need to really change how we frame the work environment and our work cultures to make them more healthy to protect people. However, right now if you're in burnout right now that's not going to help you like your life is too precious your spark is too precious to wait for that stuff to happen uh, and it can be very comfortable to get into that kind of like blame you know lean back and and, and cr cross your arms and sort of point at where everything's going wrong super fun but it won't get you out of burnout at all in fact it may dig you deeper in because it's some of that cynicism that's that's coming to light exactly yeah, being able to empower ourselves in that situation. And this is why I really think that working with a coach and a therapist is almost essential in some level for at least a, an expedited burnout sort of recovery, because we need that person who has, who, who can give us perspective, who can shed some light on what's going on, and particularly who can bring to light that we have options. We can't see them right now because we're fried, but we have options. Yeah, yeah, so true. And now that we, we touched upon the, the, the structural side of this burnout culture, what, how do you think we can get out of this structurally? Um, yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> this well, is your thing. I know it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, mean, I think so. <laughs> this is actually I'm planning this for my third book so the first book is about burnout prevention I'm gonna um bringing out another one in March about burnout recovery and then my third book's gonna be the like all guns blazing how do we actually end structurally end burnout and my it's it's simple and complicated it's going to require um 
organizational change and, and, and changes to the way we frame how we do work. We've got so much hangover in our work systems and work habits that are totally unhelpful, but they're the norm and they're unquestioned. And often people are too busy to bother addressing them. Things like email overload, things like, um, you know, just inefficient uh, communication mechanisms. Um, and I think, and I don't want to go on a full anti-capitalist rant right now, but I think that, that some of it has come from this historic perspective as people as capital, so people as human capital who are simply just a cog in the system um, and treated in that way. So what we need to do, I think, there is, is, is shift to a, a humanised working model where we, um, we integrate all of the beautiful, amazing, you know, digital components, all these, all this amazing science that we've got right now, but to make work a much more human and fulfilling experience um, that enables us to, uh, to almost by definition, to have balance in our lives to the point where overwork is the exception because it's just, it's just not necessary. It's just not needed. Ah, oh, so true. And it, it is being done, right? Recently, I mean, in, in France, if I'm correct, they, they made it illegal to, to contact uh, employees after hours. And uh, yeah, here in Belgium, there's also this work culture of, okay, if you are on sick leave, like you're untouchable, nobody can come bother you, like which is not the case in my home country, Turkey, for instance. Uh, but what I see is that some of these things are being observed by some managers because it is the rule instead of like really getting the logic behind it. What we need is like a, it's a paradigm change, like really looking at work differently, uh, management leadership differently, like everything differently. Yeah. Definitely. I think that that's, you hit the nail on the head, Asgun, because it's really, it's, it's, it's not just, you know, changing rules and doing things because it's coming from the external. What we actually need is to have leadership, uh, people in, in leadership roles really buy in to believing that this is the way that, that things are better. And it's, the, the irony is it's ultimately better for the bottom line. It's better for everyone, but there can be, there's a few different reasons that, that leaders can kind of be reluctant to make this kind of change, whether it's that's the way it's always been done or that's the way I got to my CEO role and everyone else should have to suffer too. Um, so I think it definitely, um, what I'm hopeful about is I'm seeing that there is both sort of through the older generations and I include my own in, in that, there are some people who are genuinely bringing this kind of energy and this kind of shift and I also see that in the younger generations, this is that kind of insight is actually much more common. That's much more the norm. They've seen what previous generations have done and they think it's stupid um, and good on them. <laughs> um, so I think perhaps that combination as we see um, the leadership, um, the people who are in leadership roles starting to shift, that that together with um, those of us who believe in change, you know, stepping in and communicating and creating networks so that we can really start to build some momentum of that. Um, and, and for it to not to be, um, you know, I'm thinking of a, an article I saw yesterday where the UAE is bringing in a four and a half day work week for its civil servants and schools. Yeah. 
Um, and this is a, you know, this is a, a, a situation where, you know, a few years ago, even the idea of a country talking about, you know, reducing from a five-day work week was, would be considered nonsense. And now we're seeing in even places like Japan and Korea, you know, Iceland and, and Norway and Sweden, but different places are starting to like are experiment with different ways of working. So that gives me hope. I am, I, I call myself a realistic optimist. There's definitely a heavy dose of optimism in there, but I think also some, some reality to it too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it is a very good thing to be a realistic optimist, actually, because what, what do you get by being a pessimist? You just get, you just see the world around you with this filter of, yeah, it's gray filter, the dark and like, oh, it's bad. Everything is going bad. <laughs> yeah. We need people like you, <laughs> like who keep the optimism, but also pushes with the, oh, come on guys we need to do this kind of yeah, it's not going to be it's not going to be an easy thing because we're overcoming some fairly old structural systems that have worked for people who've been in power um they've been able to hold on to power for a long time because those structures have been in place in the way that they have been for for decades yeah. so it's a it's it takes effort to make this make this kind of change um so i think that being realistic about it and not underestimating what it involves but also bringing uh bringing to it some courage and um and compassion and um and energy is kind of what i'm about oh yeah amazing <laughs> and um i you mentioned this with the you know resting as being a waste of time i want to talk a bit about that if you don't mind like sure. Probably there are uh, people who come to you and say that, oh yeah, but I can't take that that much time to rest. Resting is a waste of time, and I have all the time to rest once I'm dead <laughs> or once I'm retired. <laughs> oh, so what do you tell those people? Well, I think there's just there's just endless science on how important rest is there's a couple of great books there's plenty of articles by researchers into professional athletes and how essential their rest is to their performance um it's it is the most important factor in how they perform is how well they rest mm -hmm. so i think and there are many other examples as well it doesn't you don't have to be a professional athlete for that to be true but i think we have this and I noticed that I think particularly living in the States for a while, that there was this real uh, unwillingness to be seen as, as lazy and this kind of like got to keep busy sort of mentality. Um, it's a little bit, I mean, uh, just thinking to the countries that I've spent a lot of time in, but maybe in the, in the Netherlands, it's a little bit of that kind of, you know, hard, you work hard as well. But I, I think it's it goes beyond the cultural. I think it's in a lot of societies and cultures that we see that kind of um, that your value is somehow contingent on how much you produce, mm -hmm. and therefore, and there's also this idea that then also that the amount of time you spend working is connected to how much you produce, which again, science has proven time and again is completely false. You know, we 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 stop being productive at a certain point actually quite early. Yeah. Um, yeah right what what is what about this eight hour work day yeah that's what a crock. <laughs> yeah. and I, I mean I think that's I mean 
it's really exciting for me to see that there is also, I think, an opportunity that some companies will, some companies and organizations will be taking as this, you know, work kind of morphs. And I don't want to use the term post-pandemic because we may not be there yet. But as we kind of start to really reframe, you know, there's been this big shakeup. How do things actually go from here on in? You know, maybe seeing that actually there is, it's totally cool for that person to be working the hours that they want to work or just a few hours or a couple of day, hours a day less. You know, there's lots of evidence that that actually makes people not only more productive in the time that they're working, but also happier because they have more downtime. Um, so I think it's kind of, um, there's a little bit of a sort of a cultural um, idea that we almost have to break through there where it's like, no, it's, we have to be a little bit courageous, I think, and, and be, and, 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 take take rest take breaks awesome to see leaders doing that modeling that in their organizations um and in, and at the same time of course ensuring that everyone in the organization has the opportunity to do the very same thing and to to not need to sort of collapse into a christmas holidays completely wet you know completely exhausted and piecing putting the pieces back together no we should be entering the holidays with energy with time and energy to do the things that we want to do outside of work and not not in that kind of like and now I get to yeah yeah not like work 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 and I'll try to recover and then work 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 again yeah I think one thing that I see a lot with burnout is also the kind of like I'll just I just need to keep going until I hit this next deadline or I'll rest in the summer or I'll this kind of like pushing all that pushing the rest out into the future and then there's always another deadline that comes up or another project yeah, that, that never deep. ends. No, exactly. Yeah. Is that something you see too? Oh yes. All the time mm. with academics. That's it's very deadline based work. I have a just after the deadline, just after that one. Mm. And I tell them like, how realistic is it to wait for all the deadlines to pass for you to take yeah, ownership of your life and your future and your health and well-being yeah the, the thing that should go together the well-being the rest the self-care should be built in to your work time even exactly my understanding like mm. yeah within those eight hours we need to do some things or like have rest moments to get ourselves out of that that work mode because it's just not productive it's not creating anything exactly I, I think for some people this is why working from home has actually had some um you know I was talking with a group recently who were uh giving me the feedback for th that for them working from home had been a positive thing because they could take the dog for a quick 10 minute walk in between calls or they could you know, even just take the, the laundry out of the washing machine and hang it up, which is not the most exciting way to spend a break, but it breaks, oh. it does break the cycle of sitting at the computer. Yes. You stare out the window, you see the, the, the birds, whatever it is, but just in that kind of way, rather than, um, you know, maybe being stuck in an industrial park somewhere and, and, and in that environment. That having been said, I think it's also, yeah, it's important that even if you are in that industrial park and I've worked in them, <laughs> um, but finding a way to break that, you know just break up the day and reconnect with your shoulders down away from a screen maybe a chat with a colleague maybe just smelling some fresh air or seeing a tree you know those kind of simple things 
Yeah. And I don't want to say that, uh, you know, I don't think it's extremely annoying. To, <laughs> the, uh, that, that alone doesn't end burnout. And that's why I think in the book I also set out that like it's these these things that we do to to prevent burnout of themselves, you know, that won't that thing alone won't get you there. It's a it's a it's a, an array of practices that are directed towards looking after yourself and prioritizing your health that will build a stronger foundation that might help you uh, protect yourself and protect your spark against the yeah. full burnout experience. Yeah, uh, well, I want to read a quote from your book now that we are talking about this because it's uh, all about this one. And um, you, you write on page 55, as I mentioned earlier, quick fixes tend not to fix anything at all. This is one of the reasons I flinch when I see articles with titles like Six Ways to Avoid Burnout, which suggest you stretch in between meetings or take a walk around the block when you feel stressed. These actions alone will not prevent or remedy burnout. And then at the bottom of the page, in another paragraph, you say, if your motivation for doing these practices is so you can do more, achieve more, squish more in, or hack your system to somehow sidestep burnout, it will not work. Oh, that's yeah. so true. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. We, need a, we need a completely different paradigm like of, of self-care it's like oh yeah i'm gonna take a bubble bath and i will get a massage and then i'm good to go it's like yeah but but from which mindset you are doing those things exactly yeah and i think that's that's thank you for reading that back to me that's so nice to hear <laughs> because i think that is that is a fairly key aspect is that um, you know, in the book, I outline how we need to bring self-compassion, self-knowledge and self-awareness to sort of build a foundation um, that helps us, helps, you know, guard us against, it just empowers us um, to notice when chronic stress is happening and gives us some tools that we can tap into immediately. Things like having a good, uh, having some community around you, having people you can speak with, um, having a fairly healthy, you know, sleep regimen being um, aware of how you spend your attention and your energy. Yeah. Um, and these are, these are just, these are ways that we can, um, basically ways of like, and this is gonna sound very hippie, but I am a little bit like that, but it's ways of showing ourselves, uh, you know, I matter. I matter just as I am. I have intrinsic value. It's not contingent on my work or my work productivity, what my career looks like. I matter, so I prioritize myself and my health by doing these things. Yeah, yeah, very well said. And that brings to us to the like the, really the depth of the issue that many of us struggle with self-worth. Yeah. That I see in many people who end up in burnout. Yeah. Absolutely, I think that's a that's a common uh, common denominator in a lot of areas, and that's kind of what we were speaking to earlier about how if we, for example, uh, had experiences in our childhood through which we learned that we didn't have intrinsic value, that our worth was contingent on our grades or our you know sports or school performances, um, that we have this externalized idea of where our value is derived from, then that can naturally make us you know great workers because we'll 
go hard seeking to find that sense of value in our work lives. And in the process, all too often, burn ourselves out. I think that's something, I mean, I absolutely, uh, I agree. I, I think it, for me, part of the process of my, my sort of evolution after burnout as I built back, uh, not even built back, but I, I learned so much from that process that it, was a, it, it, it brought me to a new place that I almost see as going forward. Um, because I also knew that if I burnt out and then I just went back to, if I, you know, ignored all of the opportunities to learn, I would probably burn out again. And I may still burn out again. That can, that can happen. Never immune. Um, however, uh, it was very clear to me, and this is possibly why I went and did a yoga teacher training and threw myself into some spirituality was to really start to build a stronger sense of self-worth because that's, that's, Again, that's kind of the the self-compassion aspect of what I talk about in the book is really, you know, the motivation for doing this is not that, not to be faster, smarter, harder. It's to to take care of ourselves because we love ourselves just as we are. That's a big ask. That's not easy, but it's almost, I think I can, for me, it feels like a little bit of an ongoing journey, but it's the most worthwhile journey I've ever been on. Mm. Oh, that's, that's, so amazing, so relatable. And that brings me to the uh, following question. Like, how do you help your clients get there? How do you help them? Do you have a certain method or, yeah, can you say, oh, we, we look into this and then this and then this? Yeah, yeah um, definitely. It depends a little bit on kind of, uh, tends to be sort of two branches, whether I'm looking at doing burnout prevention or burnout um, recovery or what I call sort of evolving after burnout um, and I would say for the people who, who are in burnout and who are looking to recover I, I have sort of four key um, points that I touch on this is quite general um, because again everyone's experience is, is different um, but so if we take the word burnout and drop the vowels we have b-r-n-t so it's breathe restore nourish and talk and we start with talk because talk is about acknowledging that you're in burnout. It might even be the first person you acknowledge it to is yourself, um, then to a trusted other person, whether that's a friend or family or a professional. Uh, and the other three aspects are kind of starting to rebuild very gently, very slowly, the sense of, uh, of that self-identity, which has been lost. So doing things like nourishing your body doing things like some breathing exercises to start to connect with your body and allow your uh, parasympathetic nervous system to be engaged to start to drop that chronic stress um and then also the like restore is obviously a really big component of it because um i do have clients who who just want to throw themselves straight back into the (laughs) into the lion's den but it really, there is an aspect of burnout recovery that, that really involves, re, you know, restoring your systems. Mm-hmm. Your body is usually pretty fried, um, your brain, um, your physiology. So it, it, it needs a little bit of a hiatus to, to get it back, to, to, to allow the, to all the things to sort of, you know, work as they should again. So those are the kind of the four aspects that I usually work through. Um, and, uh, and it'll depend a little bit as well if someone's left the organization where they burnt out, um, that, that will have one sort of direction or if they're looking to reintegrate, for example, working in the Netherlands, um, it's 
pretty cool that there is to some extent some support from there's a framework that you know employ employers have for how to deal with with burnout and people are given some space and time and respected in that recovery process Mm -hmm. it's imperfect but it's certainly better than than some other uh places that i've seen oh yes so yeah and I, i really enjoy that too because i think i went through this i like i quit my job and it was the best moment of I loved quitting that job so much and I was so glad to do it but that's not always the solution and it actually makes me really happy to see clients um, who have the courage to overcome to work on themselves and really overcome a lot and go back to the same place you know where they experienced a burnout and to thrive there um that's a that's a real sign of growth and that's really beautiful to see yeah so true because indeed many people think that yeah if I'm burnt out I will quit this job I'll start elsewhere and then yeah it's gone it's behind me no it's not it's not behind it's coming with you (laughs) burnout doesn't stay in your like previous job so that's that's one of the first things I also uh, need to educate uh, Mm -hmm. clients on too yeah that's quitting is not the answer the only way out is through it's really annoying like so many things in life the only way out is through which is super annoying but at the same time like I said it's also the some of the most re- rewarding work that we ever do is is that journey right. so. and at, at the end of it you go like wow I survived that exactly I mean they they have done research that burnout um people have been through burnout can experience something along the lines of post-traumatic growth so there is you know there's scientific evidence showing that people can actually experience a significant uh level of 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 growth and um you know it's one of those things it's like those tough experiences in life whether it's uh divorce or breakup or loss of a loved one or, or burnout not to compare or anything or to measure but simply to say that sometimes the growth that we go through as a result of these things um, can maybe not make them worthwhile, but can make them okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's life. Life is never <laughs> only about roses and butterflies and unicorns. And- 100% unicorns. I was going to just all unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so, so much for this interview, Sally. That was, it was such a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> in uh, mind your own revisions and um to uh, before we finish i want to also ask you like if listeners want to reach out to you how can they find you where do they find you uh yeah can you tell us tell us a bit about that yeah firstly can i just say thank you so much this has been such a fun conversation you ask great questions um thank you (laughs) so i have a my website is www.salcla.com um, and uh, that's the same as my Instagram and my Twitter, S-L-A, uh, S-A-L-C-L-A. So it's the first three Sal-Cla. letters. Of my, yeah. yeah, first three letters, of my first and last name. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, but those are, those are all means of tracking me down and, um, and connecting. Oh, that's, that's great. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, hopefully see you again in another episode. I'd love that. Keep in yeah. touch and let's bring the more more stuff to our listeners, right? I'd love that. Thanks so much, Oscar. Bye bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed listening. 
If you did, be sure to follow Mind Your Own Revisions on social media and subscribe to my newsletter at mindyourownrevisions.com for weekly nuggets on well-being. Please also review this podcast on iTunes so that other academics can also find it. Until next time, bye!